0: Welcome to the Elite Level Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Elaine, and this is the podcast where we explore how elite level performers think, act and operate. If you're watching this on YouTube, please be sure to smash that like button if you get any form of value. And if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, a five star review would be very much so appreciated. Today, we've got a very special guest as always. Ash, it's great to see you. Good to see you, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. It's great to have you, as I say. So Ash, be great if in two minutes or less, you can tell us a bit about who you are, what you do and some of your career highlights. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So for those of you that don't know me, I'm Ash Mohamed. I run Northern Europe here at Lacework. Alex and I work together. That's, that's no secret um, for anybody that follows the company. Been with the business since January of, of 2021, you know, as, as one of the first people on the ground together with my, my colleague Philippe. And yeah, we've, you know, we've scaled aggressively in the last year, as you know, Alex, you joined around April time, wasn't it? May, May, July. June, July. Okay, <laughs> can't, can't keep track now, you know, but we're, we've gone from, you know, a couple of us in the region January last year to over 120 in EMEA. And, um, you know, Laceworks put itself on the map over the last, um, last 12 months. And,
0: um, you know, we're, we're smashing the numbers, as you know. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's really exciting times, but before spending a bit of time on lace work and yeah. what you're doing now, almost want to reset a little absolutely. bit, right? You, you've had a, a tenured career, so maybe yeah. you can go back to the early days. I think, look, it's... Um... The early days, you know, I've watched a couple of,
1: especially the first one with Gautam. And as he explained, right, you, you go into sales because there's certain things that kind of resonate with you in that environment. You know, I, I worked in B2C sales when I was in, in college, university, and and always enjoyed the people interaction first and foremost. But when you close a sale, the feeling that's associated with that and the cycle, and then I thought, okay, well... If I can sell washing machines, TVs, videos, and hi-fi's right, I'm pretty sure I can go sell B2B as well. Different level of skill set required. And, and as always, the first 12 months in any sales job as you're starting out is probably the most important. You kind of build the foundations and and the skill sets that are gonna probably last you and your entire career. And those skill sets you're gonna teach others. And hopefully, you know, you're gonna get them great at those skill sets as well. So but yeah. the fundamentals are absolutely critical. And and maybe as part of this session we'll we'll focus on those. Yeah. But you know, I started my career in the channel and the channel's hard, man. It's you know, there's three or four thousand channel partners in the UK, you know, in various guises, different sizes, from, from the computer centers and the soft cats to the likes of MBA who who, you know, we partner with as well. But having a grounding there and getting in that competitive environment. You know, It's not like Lacework where there's probably five or six other competitors. You're literally against thousands of others. So you, your ability to differentiate is, is really you and how you provide that service and engage with your customers and drive those outcomes. And then obviously partnering with vendors such as Lacework is an example, but others in storage, service, networking, you know, software, et cetera. So the foundations of what I learned there was really, look, hard work is just a non-negotiable. But planning and discipline around that work is really crucial if you if you want to compound your effort and, and really start to go 100%, 150%, 200%, 300% of your number. One thing that I've always kind of held myself to is, look, last year doesn't matter. The following year, you have to beat what you set as a bar the previous year. And and that's held me in good stead. The other part of it, as you move into leadership, you're responsible for, for others. The example you set is critical, right? Because you've got to lead from the front. You know, that's
0: again, going back to the fundamentals more than anything. So there's some really interesting things in that. But yeah. one of the things that stands about out about your career at MBA is your tenure. You, yeah. you, you started and you stayed for a long time. Absolutely. And you've spoken a bit about raising the bar year on year. So when you've got such extensive tenure, just help us understand why you chose to stick around for that long and how think, you raised the bar. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The first thing is, right, when we started, there was like four of us. You know, I was the first salesperson, Guy and Gary were the two founders. And building something from nothing kind of came there for me. And when an opportunity like Lacework came up to build a region from scratch, I kind of grasped that it, obviously everything else had to align, which I knew a fair, about, fair, fair bit about the business anyway, kind of coming into it, having worked with Andy previously. But if you think of like, look, you're in it together. There's a few of you. It's a real family feel. You know exactly what you're bringing in and how it impacts the others in the business, and, and what it allows the business to do in terms of scaling and, and you know, adding, adding more, um, more people to join the cause. And you know by the time I left, I think we were up to 60-plus people. It was a great journey in terms of like, we were punching well above our be- weight in terms of like the accounts we, we were bringing in, the accounts we were nurturing and, and were responsible for, and, and driving outcomes for those you know, with, with technology projects. But the other part of it is, right, we retained our people really well. Like if you look at, you know, that period of time in, in nine years, there was, there was staff that I'd, you know, been responsible for recruiting that stayed for six, seven, eight years, some of them even just after I left as well. So that retention piece was really critical. And as you know, if you're doing a good job of retaining your people and motivating them in the right way,
0: the, the numbers will, will just follow. As long as, you know, you've recruited the right profiles. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because I look at the era we're in today and yeah. I certainly have my own relatively short stints. is that it's very much so you kind of come in, you maybe spend even a couple of years now in tech and, and people often start to look to move on. But the, the central theme, and I think a lot of what you said, is that constantly being pushed to do more, to do better, it sounds like you retain being in a, a learning and a growth environment, so important. which is really and important.
1: I think one thing is like that growth mindset is really critical. You kind of see sometimes or even work with, with individuals that kind of hit a plateau quickly. But that growth mindset's really important. You've got to wake up every day thinking, right, how can I push myself and be better than the day before? I always say, you are your own competition. Like, and everybody else doesn't really matter. Like, If you do the right things, the outcomes eventually will come. But again, if you, if you stick to the fundamentals, right, hard work, drive, initiative, purpose and intent, I talk about that a lot, right, at work. That purpose and intent piece is so important. The statistic around humans making decisions apparently is 85%, 90%. We're, we're not even conscious of those decisions. So when you, when you kind of peel that back and think, okay, even if I can go add 10% more where I'm more conscious of a decision that I make and an action that I take, like that, that drives great outcomes. So Ash, can you teach someone all of the things that you just described? Absolutely. As long as they're open to, to learn, right? The joy of coaching, right, is the ability to break it down and simplify where I could go tell a 10- or 12-year-old, and they would get it. But the other part of it is right. For me, sport was a big part of my life, you know growing up from the age of four or five right through to probably you know, 32, 33. But when you're young, you, you kind of build these characteristics and traits and behaviors that translate very well. You know a sporting environment translates very well to a sales environment high pace, right? You're learning new things all the time. You're chasing a result or an outcome that's set. So the line between winning and losing is very clear. It's the same in sport. So the expectations and demands you put on yourself really have to play into driving that outcome. If you don't, look, it's not for everyone. Some people go into sales, realize it's not for them. That's okay. But if you want those things in your job, in your career, that you're going to go work you know, for 20, 25, 30 years, maybe even longer in some cases. It's so critical to enjoy those things as well. We talk about it all the time, Alex, like we love our jobs. There's a reason I love my job, because I, I get to coach every single day. I'm still learning, I'm still being coached, right, from the likes of but Andy, and the guys that I've worked with previously um, in, in other organizations that I look
0: up to. But that learning, earning growth, so critical in, in that sales sales environment. It's an interesting one. And this is what I love about doing the pod is you get so many different perspectives, because I've been on record many times for saying, I I don't feel you can fundamentally teach passion, drive and hunger. I feel that's the bit. No, you can't teach that, but Uh you can teach the skills and knowledge, right? Mm. But the point is that you find people that already
1: have those traits, right? They might not necessarily have the skills and knowledge to take advantage of those traits immediately. Yes. And that's the perspective, right? So when whether you're taking a grad out of university, they'll have gone through moments in their life or events and experiences in their life that have really inherently built in kind of resilience, grit, and it's that character that that you want to harness and you know apply in a sales environment. But that on its own isn't enough, right? Intelligence is critical. The the, the growth mindset and the ability, ability to be coachable is critical, and I think having a perspective where like you're humble in success is so, so important because if you have that perspective, you'll always be open to learning. You'll always be open to sharing and teaching others yeah. as well. Yeah. That's so critical.
0: So a, a pivot topic I'm curious to expand on is we, we had a conversation not that long ago, a bit about just burnout, right? Yeah. And, the pace that is sometimes required to yeah. be able to scale a company, certainly like the experience we're having right now. So just help us understand your perspective on how do you balance this level of pace and intensity while actually at the same time being able to sustain that over an extended period of time. Great question. And and a big part of just leading, not necessarily leading others, leading yourself
1: as well is if you want to operate at a certain level and this isn't, you know, it, your podcast is, is, is named elite level. So let's, let's say you want to aspire and then execute at that level. It's so critical to manage your energy. You know, you, you read about, study any professional athletes at the top of their game for you know, a dominant period of time. They manage their energy levels so well. The rest, the recuperation, all of that, the, the ability to, to kind of get in the zone mentally, that plays a big part. The example I always use, right, in in the Premier League, there's 20 teams. From a fitness, power, speed, perspective, strength, etc. You know, the attributes between the players in the club at the bottom of the league versus the top, it's probably plus or minus 5%, not even probably that, I would argue. Yet, the guys at the top are performing significantly better. And there's two parts to that equation. One is, you know, the locus of control is within. Like, what do I control and how can I control my outcomes without necessarily being affected from the outside or thinking about that mentally where I'm thinking I'm playing the blame game. No, elite level performers always look within. They always look to improve first and foremost, what can I do better? And they take responsibility and accountability for that. Second part of it is you've got to have great teachers around you. That's so important just throughout life in general, but especially also in a professional environment. If you really want to kind of fulfill your potential get to the top of your game you've got to go find the best teachers I've had the pleasure of, of kind of going through that period you know probably seven years ago as I left the channel I, I was good I was executing but I was probably unconsciously competent in many ways as I learned more about the software industry understood John and and what he created as a legacy from PTC onwards you know I was like I need to I need to go get in with that crowd and learn from the best and and you know the first probably 18 months that I spent at Fuse was again another great learning period for me. We executed well, but I was just a sponge taking everything in. A lot of stuff that I was doing prior to that period, you know, I was still performing well at I was like, ah, that's why, that's why I was doing that well. Or that's why, you know, I was making sales. So to get conscious around what you're doing well is so important as well. And so when you do that, that's when it unlocks your ability to then go teach others as well obviously applying it over and over and, and and benefiting benefiting from that
0: success is also crucial. Yeah, there's some real gems in that, Ash. And, you know, I think a lot about the decisions I've made, certainly recently coming on board at LaceWorker, more and a big part of that was the leadership and who would I be surrounded by? You know, I often have that saying of, of lions walk amongst other lions, right? And you want to walk amongst the best, but also learn from the best. So for anyone who's not clear, John McMahon, really, we could say a software sales legend, board member at many of the most successful companies out there and the impact that he's been able to drive through his playbook on organizations has really set the stage for organizations growing out and achieving remarkable things. Yeah, I mean the success John had
1: at PTC, BladeLogic, BMC, right, it's it's documented significantly already. But I think his biggest legacy are the leaders that he created. You know, if you if you look around there's 25 30 organizations where the CROs that at some point worked, you know, with directly for John some of those organizations are now household names, you know, in terms of the companies that, that they've become. At Fuse, I had the pleasure of learning from three of those guys, you know, directly. They're all CROs at different companies, working with one of them now. I think they boil it down to a, a simplicity that if, if you trust the process, you apply that process, you commit to it with hard work, you know, drive, intelligence, and coachability around that process. It's very, very unlikely you're not going to win, and you're not going to execute and perform at a high level. And it's the, the the principles of success. It doesn't matter what field you're in, are fairly common. Whether you're in sport, etc. Right, if you learn the tactics of your team, you take on what you, what your coaches tell you. You continuously learn and adapt to environments and situations. But the foundations of your character, in terms of work ethic, drive, passion, you know, creativity all of those good things are consistent and you're disciplined around what you do, you're going to go crush it. You might have a bad period, right? Everybody does. That's just natural because nobody is perfect. You can aspire to be perfect. But committing to a process like that allows you to de-risk, allows you to excel and find roots. And we're talking about FY23 planning, right? Monday morning session, when we get back into the office, Alex, will be on how you purposefully go drive x percentage overachievement on on your quota first and foremost you've got to manifest it you've got to think and you've got to think and act and operate already believing that that's what you're going to go and execute so again if you study the most successful athletes visualizations are a big part of what they do in terms of their mental operating model and they just don't believe that they're going to fail and that translates
0: subconsciously and eventually consciously into everything that you do. You know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a sucker for all of this uh, this type of mindset talk. I've always been a big fan of it and, and found it a massive part of certainly my own success today. I, w- I want to switch gears slightly as to just go- revisit your career a little bit. right? Yeah maybe back to your Fuse days as you spoke about. Help us understand a bit more about what helped you perform at a rep level and when you really knew you were ready to transition to being a leader. So there's, there's almost an impatience nowadays of ICs going into
1: leadership and then going to second line and third line. Right? First and foremost, and I believe in this even before I was kind of taught it from like Andy and Cedric and, and, and Luca at Fuse, You've got to master your craft in the role that you're in. And by that by that I mean, you know, consistently over deliver and execute. Where what you're doing becomes kind of muscle memory. You kind of go from, you know, conscious competence to almost auto competence and, and execution. And once you have that, you know, right, you get anybody in a room, you can probably articulate exactly why down to detail what you're doing how you're doing it, and why it's driving the outcomes that it that it is. That comes just from ex- one experience, but again, you've got to learn things the right way. There's no point running 100 miles per hour in the wrong direction. The direction's got to be right, the energy and effort behind that direction and your movement's got to be right as well. So that's why I say you've got to go find the best people to go learn from. And luckily, you know, as the sales profession has evolved, particularly over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, th- there's... A lot of great leaders out there, a lot of great coaches and mentors that I think this generation of ICs will accelerate their careers probably, you know, one and a half, two X as
0: a result of of that learning because it's it's become so conscious. And I think in that people have to also think about actually pursuing being a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I know that, you know, sometimes you hear about certain organizations or playbooks or whatever the case is and people might think, actually I'm quite comfortable where i am and it's sometimes having that mindset to say actually i i I need to push myself i need to test myself i need to understand what it's like not only to study the other side but live in and operate in the other side and i know that's certainly been a, a phenomenal experience certainly for me being able to be a part of an organization that just plays at a higher level yeah look that's so critical because knowing is not enough
1: if you're a footballer knowing how to shoot in the top right-hand corner from a free kick isn't enough. Like most of them probably know how to do it. Execution is just as critical because when you're in the moment and you've got to perform, like you've got to step up and deliver. So knowing, as I say, in the knowledge is great, but it's only useful when you use it. The using is in the execution and, and the day-to-day operating rhythm that you have in your respective role, whether you're an IC, whether you're a first or second line leader, doesn't matter. But... That's where the learning happens, truly, right? You can sit in a classroom all day long and, and learn theory, but you probably only pick up 20%, 25% of it. It's only when you apply it and you really get into the nuts and bolts of that situation and applying certain principles of, of selling or presenting or whatever it is, messaging. That's where you truly find out, right? how much have I absorbed? How well have I executed it? What feedback have I got? And getting into that depth around coaching is so critical, so any, my advice to any IC out there, if you're not getting that level of coaching,
0: go get yourself into an environment where you know you're going to get that level of coaching. It's a good point. It's a good point. Ash, you mentioned selling principles and there's a statement I feel you're you're famed for a little bit, which is slow down to speed up. Yeah. And I just want you to explain what you mean by that and when you leverage it.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, that's not my statement, right? There's There's probably... John, maybe even before John, right, that that statement's been running. So I was just taught it by others. But fundamentally, 100% back that. Again, when I was probably unconsciously competent, I used to do that anyway. I think when you're in a, a seller-buyer situation, in reality, you should never be selling. And what I mean by that is all you're taking a customer through is getting to a decision around outcomes that they're trying to drive and a solution that's going to help them do that. Your job is just to facilitate an environment where you're asking the right questions to help the customer or the buyer get to that decision. Sometimes it's not going to be easy because the buyers don't know what they want, but you've got to be constantly challenging them to help them go through that thought process. With some buyers, it's very easy because, you know, they'll be open and transparent. Others are more guarded, but you've got to constantly add value, right? I always find if you find the right prospect at the right time, you're not selling all you're doing is essentially providing value and information that helps them get to a decision in the right way. And what I, what do I mean in the right way? Well, A, as efficiently as possible. B, you're helping them understand the impact and business value of your product to their organization and the outcomes that it's going to drive. They should value, as a buyer, that process. Not all of them do, and that's okay. But again, you, it's your job to try and at least get them to understand why going down that route of, of an engagement is more beneficial for them. Because too often, buyers are like, cost, cost, cost of the tool, and that's it. But, you know, if Tool A costs £100,000, 100, Tool B costs £150,000, but it costs you half a million to operate this one and £100,000 to operate this one, well, the underlying software cost is now not not an equation, you know, not in the equation, shall I say. So it's it's our job as educators, as facilitators, as value-added add, people, to make that invisible visible to the buyer. And we do that obviously through
0: other examples of customers where we've done that and, and really our value proposition. Yeah, I, I love the way you frame that actually, Ash. It's a, it's a good way for people to certainly think about it. it. Reminds me a little bit actually of a coaching call I did recently and someone said to me, Alex, what if the customer asked me uh, for a price upfront? My response to them was, well, are you an order taker or are you a sales person? And the person kind of froze from that because I do think there's a lot to be said in sometimes being in these scenarios where a customer makes a particular request and then all of a sudden the whole world's meant to change, right? And certain sales reps start to U-turn their way of thinking. But to your point, it actually should be a a guided walkthrough to a pretty natural outcome when you've actually taken the time to learn and understand. So coming back to the point around slow down, speed up. So... Where you've
1: truly slowed down to add value to the, to the prospect, to truly understand, are they actually in a buying cycle? And by that I mean, have they already decided, doesn't, obviously not on the vendor, but have they already decided to do something about a problem that they have? If they have, great, there's intention to do something. And then it's our job to add value around that intent so they can, they can drive you know, a decision and, and, and get what they want to go solve that problem. If there is isn't intent, then that's just an honest conversation with the, with the prospective buyer. But they're probably not a prospective buyer. It's just somebody looking around. And that's okay, right? But get to that information sooner because otherwise they're going to waste their time. You're going to waste their time. And there might not be a problem big enough, you know, to go solve within that particular business. And that's crucial because as sellers, again, you've got to manage your energy, right? Going back to that point. You don't want to waste your energy on the wrong cycles, where customers are not, actually not in even mentally thinking of buying something that's not to say you can't you know uncover a problem or, or again make the the invisible visible for the customer because that's part of what disruptive technologies do but again there's a process around that to go figure that out with the with the potential prospect and get them to understand actually the pro, you know the problems that they have they might not think about today but 6 months from now that problem will be 5x or 10x because of the changes that are going on within their business. You know again, you know going back to probably many podcasts you've heard right, there's an art and science to sales. And the science is the process, the qualification frameworks that that we use. The art in is in how you apply those. And when you truly slow down in reality, right, going through that process of qualification with a customer, understanding their pains, implicating that pain, understanding needs as a result, quantifying both you know, the negative consequence and the positive outcome that they would get with them. Sometimes that's what helps them get to a decision and say, right, now we're ready because we've got everything for a business case. Mm -hmm. And you probably have to, in many cases, still get to that point to help a customer, you know, come to a natural conclusion around, okay, I've got a problem, we've quantified it, it's a big one. I wasn't aware of it before. So thanks Alex for making me aware.
0: And 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 let's go, let's go get this done. Got it. I mean, you've you've broken this down really well, the art and the science. So the question then becomes, why are there so many reps out there that are, let's say, sitting in the the average category and then a, a select subset that can maybe classify themselves as elite? What are the biggest delta in why you see that separation between everyone and the elite? So look, not everybody's willing to work hard,
1: first and foremost, right? You know when we when we hire when we recruit Alex as you know right we're looking for certain character traits hard work work ethic drive etc is one part of it intelligence is just as important and I'm not saying that people out there are not intelligent but there's a street smart and there's a there's a classroom smart and in a way in sales you've got to have both right so you've got to be able to learn that theory apply it in practice and kind of just absorb, be a sponge in, 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 in learning. Every single day you're learning new things in sales. Either how you're selling your product needs to be tweaked slightly, your messaging might might work better in one way versus another. And and you've got to adapt to these percentages every single day. But at the absolute basic level, right, if you're an IC, especially in a new business role, your job is A, to generate pipeline, drive brand awareness in your territory, and eventually, right, get prospects engaged in, in, a, in a process where they understand they've got a problem and they've got to go solve it. That pipeline generation world is the foundation of it all. During my time at Confluent, I, I had a rep that had come into the IC role from an SDR manager position. This first real enterprise sales role. Second day he asked me, Ash, like, how do I go hit 200% my number? All I said was just go be a world-class SDR for the next few months, right? I'll teach you how to sell. I'll, I'll be on sales cycles with you. I'll be in the trenches. That individual finished 2020 as worldwide number one in his first full year in sales, roughly doing 490%. But what he did really, really well was just the basics. Drove a bunch of pipeline. And coming into 2020, he had like just a huge amount of pipeline. Which, which is great, but he was just super coachable, worked phenomenally hard. If you kind of understood his background and, and what he'd come through through his childhood and, and growing up, me and you would, would think, wow, the amount of grit and, and resilience that that must have built in him as a young boy, young teenager. But let's just say it was a world away from how we live over here. Right? You know, He didn't come to the UK until it was, it was 12, 13. But that kid inspired me. You know, in on his journey in terms of like, we got to take inspiration from each other. It's not always that you take inspiration from leaders, right? I say to you, on a given quarter, I think it was end of Q3. Phil Phil's performance was inspirational, and I'm sure we'll have many of those examples. But you got to take inspiration from each other. Like say, you use the the phrase lions run with lions or wolves run with wolves, right? You got to look around and be inspired by your team, whether it's your peers, whether it's your leaders, whether it's you know the SDRs that you're working with. That's where you also, as as a team sport, kind of high performance continues to, to kind of be the bar and the
0: benchmark where you're looking around and everybody's like aspiring
1: to that, to that level.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting one, right? Because I think it goes back to that point around actively seeking out sometimes what m- some people might find is quite uncomfortable, right? when you're amongst a team where everyone's hungry, everyone's going after it, for some that can be quite intimidating, but your point around pipeline generation, that that seems to be certainly the flavor of the month and and very topical in a lot of organizations that need to grow. So I wanna just explore a little bit about the importance of that. And again, some of the gaps that maybe some people are having to actually go and be excellent there. I know for me, myself, having pace, high volume, good amount of velocity, and combining that with a level of personalization has been important to me and also not being scared of the phone. But we certainly see a, a gap, right, in some people who just excel on PG and other people who have a hard time. So again, what have your observations been? Yeah,
1: look, on, on PG, there's, there's just got, like, you've got to hold yourself accountable to a disciplined approach, first and foremost. Like, it's got to be inbuilt into your operating rhythm every single day of every, you know, of every single week you can never have enough pipeline in reality because as you know, you've been in sales a long time, Alex, right? You could have opportunities and customers where it's going really smoothly. You're probably two thirds into a sales engagement and something happens and suddenly that opportunity is completely gone or moved out two quarters. And so what do you do in that situation, right? The whole point of pipeline is to de-risk your ability to get your, get to your you know, outcome, which is to, to go crush your number. And worst case scenario, a bad quarter should be one hundred percent. One hundred percent for me is you doing your job, um, or any IC doing their job, or leader, etc. So that should be a worst case scenario for me. You should never plan to hit one hundred percent for that reason, because guess what? You are probably going to end up on seventy. Because can't use the word, but things happen. So you've got to plan A for higher, because firstly, as an elite performer, you just got to aim higher and hold yourself to a higher standard. And again. The individuals that, that hold themselves to that standard are so self-critical and, and are always looking within, like, how can I kind of improve with those marginal gains? You know, I did a session yesterday morning with all the new starters around executing, executing a discovery call. By the afternoon, one of your colleagues had already kind of absorbed all that information. We had a discovery call and he ran it almost to perfection, right? like four weeks on, into the job. That's what coaching looks like, where there's just almost uh, an impatience around learning and then applying that learning, and and you'll you'll see that regularly
0: in in people that
1: you know want to just go crush, crush
0: whatever it is that they're doing. Got it. So. We're speaking a bit about coaching, so it's a good opportunity to talk a bit about your experiences, one as a first-line leader and now as a second line. So just help us unpack what those first moments looked like when you took on leadership, and now as a second line, what transitions you had to make. So most individuals that have gone into leadership will tell you the first 12 months
1: is by far the hardest because you've gone from like super sales rep to then taking the responsibility for others and and you know enabling their um success. For me, it was a bit different because I was still a player manager. I still had, you know, I was still responsible for a large book of business and and the responsibility that came with that in terms of a family-feel business. But then I'd a I've always in in my early years kind of developed completely green reps. One, it's harder, because they don't know. But in a way, it's also easier because they've not got pre-knowledge that might be the wrong knowledge in terms of how to go sell and how to go operate. So they are complete sponges in terms of learning. Again, as long as you've recruited for the right character traits, it's more intense in terms of what you have to coach and, and the coaching conversations, like every conversation is a coaching conversation when, when you take on the responsibility of graduates coming into the business or somebody in their first sales role. I love that because that works two ways. You know, they're learning, but you're you're honing your skills every single day. And if you're doing it more regularly, let's say you've got five grads you're trying to coach and you're doing that every single day for three months versus one grad, you could argue you're gonna accelerate your skill level as well, four or five X. So that intensity around coaching is just as important because right, they're they're there to learn, it's probably their first job. When you start to see the outcomes of that coaching in terms of them picking up the phone or them closing their first deals, it's just so satisfying. A big reason people you know, should move into leadership is because they want the responsibility of enabling other people and enabling their careers and their success. And when you get into that mindset of like, right, I'm here to serve others and, and to fulfill you know, their ambitions, to help, help them fulfill their ambitions, and you see evidence of that, it's, it's truly satisfying. Now it's just, you know, another step, right? I've got leaders, I've got to enable them and their success as well. Some are experienced, some are not. Again, experience could be the wrong experience, right? You could be enabled in things completely the wrong way. So sometimes you have that challenge of getting them to unlearn things, bind to right what is truly the, the right way. And I think one thing around for those of us that have worked in, you know, the McMahon Playbook for a while It's one of those things that you don't see yourself operating any differently. That's not to say you don't need to be agile and flexible in certain scenarios, but in reality, right, there's no better way of approaching sales because it
0: focuses so much on the
1: fundamentals. That's true.
0: That's very true. I I, want to explore this leadership topic a little bit more because I've, I guess, had many leaders, I've been a leader, I had mentees and, and played all of these different roles. And I think having that genuine care for a lot of the people that I've been able to play some kind of role in their success um, has been a big part of it. But one of the themes is sometimes just the intensity from which you actually operate or, or, or manage by. So what I want to understand from you is how, how much emphasis do you put on being quite a intense leader versus being a leader that's maybe uh, some people might describe as diplomatic or a little bit lighter touch in their approach. How do you strike that balance to get the most out of people? So again, right. If you think I'm going to talk, so I support Liverpool
1: football club, right? I absolutely love Jurgen Klopp. If you look at the stats just around like how much a team runs Liverpool currently sat second in the Premier League, they're typically first or second on that statistic. Just running. That level of intensity is required if you want to operate at high level. I'm using an analogy here. So that pace and urgency is so critical. Again, if you think of learning curves, if you're a rep that does twice as many meetings as the next person, you're probably going to learn arguably twice as much, let's, even if it's 50%, let's say, but you're going to learn more if you're in the right environment with the right people around you, the right leaders coaching you the right way, again, you're going to get twice as much coaching and feedback, et cetera. So if you want to aspire to a level of high performance, why wouldn't you want to operate with that level of intensity and pace? It's almost contradictory to say, well, I want to operate at a high level, but then say, well, I'm just hitting my basic leading indicators. Don't get me wrong, the... The numbers are important and, and our leading indicators that we use are important. But generally, if, if you're driven in the right way, you want to drive outcomes for yourself, whether it's you know, over a medium kind of phase of time or longer, you've got to squeeze as much, pos- as, much as possible in there. Right? I think I shared Mike Spice's blog with you, right? The, the time value of time. A huge believer in that. And in a way, I came into the software world a little bit later, right? I was like, you know, almost mid-30s. And I thought, okay, well, I've got to just make the most of the opportunities that are in front of me. So I just went at a pace and an urgency, which I know the guys around me expected anyway, but that's how I was just wired. It was probably easier for me to just automatically adjust to that pace. But it also tied into, right, where do I want to take my career? In what time frame? A question I always ask people is like, where, you know, what do you want to do and where do you want to go to eventually? I never asked, what do you want to do in five years? Because I've seen people do it in two or three And then equally, I've seen people take 10 or 15 years to get to that stage, right? That's not just everybody's journey is different. I get that. But I just think if you're purposeful around that intensity and pace,
0: you can drive outcomes for yourself and accelerate those outcomes much, much faster. It's an interesting one because I was recently watching a documentary from Chris Eubank actually I'm a big uh, combat sports fan and one thing he was saying when people ask him about how he became as successful as he did was he said for him it was quite simple because he looked at other fighters who were going out doing one run at 5am and doing one set of training at 3pm and he thought well if I double that output logic tells me I'll probably be twice as good. And he took that mindset and literally did it that way. And of course, as we know, had a phenomenally successful career. So I think some of the principles play into what you've said. Ash, I have a couple of other things. Uh, I think we, we may have to think about a part two here. I want to talk a bit about when you're speaking about the intensity and, and, and the pace that you're going through to, to go through this build process. You of course, chose lace work for for the next step in your journey, and I think it's fair to say we are moving at a certain pace and level of intensity. but help us understand why you chose laCE work and what your reflections have been over the last year uh, with within the organization yeah look, you know I kept in touch with Andy kind of from from the time
1: that that he left fuse. he was at another organization in in between as well when he landed at Lace work, I was at Confluent and you know, Lacework was still a small organization. So when Sutter Hill reached out to me saying, look, Andy, Andy would like a discussion, he's asked us to reach out. Firstly, out of respect for him, you know, I had the call. But I'd already, you know, I was already aware what, what Lacework did, the market they were going after. I knew John had joined the board at the same time Andy had become president. During my discussions with Andy, a few things kind of came to light that you wouldn't be able to find from publicly available information. But I had an insight into that market because I was already selling into DevOps at Confluent with, with, with my team. And Confluent was, was a great step. It was the first company that, that I kind of worked for that was product-led. You know, the, the founders created Apache Kafka and, and, and were really accelerating revenue there. But if you looked at kind of the go-to-market aspects, I still felt that there were some gaps. Because it was product-led in a way, that made selling a little bit easier. The challenge I took on there was to go drive Confluent Cloud as as a pivot within that business as it was moving from an on-prem perpetual license model to 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 as, as a service with cloud. We were very successful doing that, especially in, you know, digital native cloud native organizations. We we landed a couple of, you know, seven figure deals in, in the seven quarters I was there. But you know, we went from doing two or three million on confluent cloud to by the time I left, we were we were doing roughly 60 and and my region was responsible for about 20, 25% of, of that, that scale which was you know it was great to get on the cv a good learning curve what i felt was missing was did i feel the entire go to market organisation was operating acting and behaving in the same way to go drive those outcomes uh, i think in pockets we were doing really good and especially in AMIA. so i decided when andy reached out right you know i kind of missed missed that right where i knew top down everybody was just on it the playbook was consistent How we were selling, how we were differentiating, how we were adding value for our customers and and driving great outcomes. So that was one one reason why. Right. The other was like as you looked into the cloud security market, I just felt from a product standpoint, like Lacework were in pole position. As long as they didn't kind of slow down on the innovation side, that the product will be in the, you know, top one or two in that category. So that was a big tick. But the but the bigger reason for me what makes a business truly is the leadership. And having spoken to Andy a few times and then actually committed to the process, spoke to Dan, who was the CEO at the time, and, and my final interview was with John, which was a great discussion. I was, you know, my mind was made up anyway at that point. And then it's like, okay, what are my personal goals? And, and ultimately, how does this align to, align to that as well? And the ability to, again, take the next level in terms of learning, enablement, skill, knowledge, as well as make a bigger impact on a bigger team and and grow something from nothing. That was a great challenge. You know, I'm a big believer. And those of you that have seen the series, the playbook on Netflix, right? There's a basketball coach called Doc Rogers, and he talks about pressure is a privilege. And it's only in pressure situations that you truly continually grow. So you've got to take yourself out of those comfort situations, get yourself into those uncomfortable situations or pressure situations and really own that pressure to, to fuel your growth. So I thought this was a great opportunity again to to, to, to go do that. Having fun so far. Fantastic. That's
0: you safe. know, as you know, we've had a phenomenal FY22 and um, I'm sure we'll go crush it. Absolutely. In you know, Y
1: 23 as well.
0: It's great to hear the story, uh, Ash, and I think a lot of it plays into similar motivations that, that I had coming in as well. Leadership, being in that environment, being a part of a, a truly legacy-driven uh, story. And this is my first time being a part of an organisation that, uh, just for clarity, Andy Byron, President and CEO at, at Lacework. And you can certainly see the culture top down is, is truly something special. And so working with you and the wider team is- Funnily great. enough, you know, John asked me
1: in my interview, and or, or we kind of in conversation mentioned it, right? I'm a big believer because I, I feel that you've got to wake up with your feet hitting the ground ready to attack your day. And if you're not, there's something missing, right? Not everybody has the, the privilege of working and, and you know um, operating in roles and jobs that they absolutely love. We have that privilege. So if you don't make the most of that, it's, it's on you. It's on us right? So things don't always go to plan. But at least if you can look in the mirror and say, I did my everything in any given scenario, and and left it all on the field, metaphorically speaking, then that's all anybody can ask of you. That aside, I think the continuous learning is, is just non, you know, for me, it's nonstop, you know, that that culture of performance and learning is 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 combined. And it's why I always, you know, put a big emphasis on on the enablement side of things
0: alongside you know the execution ash i have one last question for you as you may have heard if you if you heard the first episode if you're talking to that very person out there right now who wants to go from where they are in their career to elite what would your number one piece of advice be to them number one piece of advice first of all
1: have a plan and then go after that plan with purpose and intent The key to building a plan, though, is you've got to go speak to people that have probably been there and done that. So don't try and build that plan on your own. Get the advice of others. Get the advice of people that have trodden that path before. And um, that really helps kind of, you know, really nail that plan down. But the purpose and intent piece is so critical. Like every career move you make, there's got to be strong reasons behind it, not just because I need a job and I'm going to take a job. When you get a few years within sales, you're typically on good money and especially if you've done well. And more often than not, you have a lot more choice than you think you have. But you've got to be purposeful around the decisions that you make and the career choices that you make, because that decision can can have a lasting
0: impact on your life. So great, great final word. And Ash, we're delighted that the Elite Level podcast will forever hold the mantle of, of your first ever podcast. I so appreciate, well, appreciate it, Alex. And, and thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Guys and girls, appreciate you listening in. If you're watching this on YouTube, please be sure to make sure that you smash that like button, commented, share and subscribed. And again, if you're listening on any podcast platforms, please make sure you leave a five-star review and share any of your feedback. I hope you enjoyed today. Be sure to tune in for the next one.